You're listening to Caddy Wampus. Oh my god, it's been so long. Wink, Several wink. weeks or months. Not at all. Several <laughs> It months. might have been years. Who knows? Who knows? the last time we talked time. about artist? 2020, right? And or 2021, yeah, depending on man. when this second part comes out. Time is a construct. It doesn't exist. <laughs> Death is but a doorway. Time We're a window good. or whatever the fuck that Ghostbusters 2 quote is. We're going to go to Africa, and we're going to go to the Middle East, somewhere there anyway. I'm glad you remembered which two really movies are in episode. this part, Corey. And you have never sound more bored by anything in your entire hey, life. Hey, I don't get paid a lot for this gig, but what I do pay earns you that. Who is paying you? <laughs> and Where I've do I get Corey. those $2? Wait, you're not getting paid? I was about to say, you guys are getting paid? <laughs> Wait, you guys aren't getting paid. I got endorsed by Mandy and Haunt. You got, you got endorsed by two defunct organizations. Great. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, you got endorsed by Haunt. How much did that yeah, cost you? Everything. Anyway, enjoy the two most problematic entries into the Ernest oeuvre, which are the last two entries, most likely. It's, a it's coincidence, a call, but surely. It's a tough call, but here we go. Well, I guess I can't put it off any longer. I paid money for this. I'm so sorry. In a way, shame. I am complicit. I watched Ernest goes to Africa from the year our lord 1997 you leave our lord out of this the year of sweet baby jesus 1997 that's better <laughs> okay i'm gonna start with a couple of things it's it's not as bad as the title or poster would lead you to believe it's not the disaster you think this would be. And I think, and I want to give a little bit of background. I think this comes from the fact that we have noticed a striking liberal streak in earnest. People of Confederate flags are typically villains. Uh, he often quotes strange communist statements. He seems to have a happy optimism about, about experiencing other cultures in previous films. So, this is not like Larry the Cable Guy goes to Africa. You know, this isn't like another kind of character like this goes to Africa. So, it is not the disaster you think it is. So, it's not Ace Ventura when nature calls? No, this is, I will say this, significantly less offensive. Hmm. Ace Ventura when nature calls is a hate crime compared to the movie I watched. Having said that, it's still Ernest going to Africa. Let us begin. Ernest is no longer... Well, let me start with one thing. One, there's a really weird credit sequence. And this is this was the real, like, fucking first shot thrown. Mostly it's Ernest just mimicking funny animals from Africa. It, it feels very Lion King as far as, like, look at Ernest be like a meerkat. You know? You know what I mean? Then there's Ernest being a shrunken head. And I was like, oh, we're in trouble. 
Hmm. The movie begins, and the and the literal tagline, or the literal not tagline, so the, the literal um, legend is uh, uh, somewhere in Central Africa. Okay, don't want to deal with countries or settings. Fair enough. A knockoff Indiana Jones character, who I'm going to call Illinois Smith because that's a joke that later comes up with referring to Indiana Jones in the context of the story. The idea being that this world doesn't have Indiana Jones, but has some hero known as Illinois Smith. Um, Illinois was the cat's name. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We named the ferret Illinois. (laughs) Uh, This guy steals a tribal artifact from a clearly fictional tribe. One of those... Very, very, very 19th century British colonial lost tribes, quote unquote, in Africa, Central Africa. There is this hidden tribe. There is a statue. Um, There are two gem diamond jewel eyes. He steals them. He's on the run. He even runs to a plane. But this time the guy betrays him, leaves him to die, takes the artifact. Cut to America. Ernest. Actually not a janitor. He's a mechanic, a car mechanic. He has a highly skilled job. Huh. But unfo- unfortunately, he's earnest. He's terrible at it. He destroys a car. Uh, so just get that illusion out of your head real quick. After losing his job, he goes across the street from the mechanic's uh, shop to this restaurant. He's obsessed with this waitress, uh, kind of stalking her. She's like, no, I need... Here we go again. Yeah, I need an adventurous man. I need a strong man who will travel the world with me. Also, this is Linda Cash from the German atrocity of of Ernest Goes to School and the uh, wife of the professor and Ernest Rides Again. Ernest Goes to Nuremberg. Ernest Rides a Cannon. (laughs) Anyway, we're setting up that it's a a will they, won't they, mostly won't they on her part, mostly will they on his part. Then we cut uh, back to Africa and then we really weirdly name check. uh, Okay, so this is where this gets into my I want, to, I want to preface this. I have a passing and not comprehensive knowledge of the history of the continent of Africa, an incredibly diverse place of many cultures, many tribes, many nations. They mention, though, Katanga as a legend of where something's taking place, which is weird because, as, as I understand it, Katanga is, is a nation that got dissolved by the Congo crisis in the 60s. So, which makes me go, well, I don't think it's a period piece. And I and I don't know enough about what was happening in the 90s, but it was really weird because they went with Central Africa. And they went, no, 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 this is all taking place during the Democratic Republic of Congo's many, many, many civil wars, which is a weird place to set an earnest film. And and it kind of led me to believe, also given some stereotypes that are going to happen later, this is to Africa what, like, the Simpsons episode was to Australia? Hmm. If anybody remembers uh, that episode from The Simpsons? Nope. $900, dude. Yeah, the boot. Um, And the reason this is going to become a problem is, okay, so this is a really thinly veiled riff on North by Northwest. Long story short, this weird Illinois Smith guy gets killed. The diamond, the, the jewels get lost into the wrong hands. Uh, a white South African is tasked by a, um, uh, they call him a prince of some nation or kingdom that's it's not really clear to recover these diamonds that they did steal from this lost tribe um and they mistake Ernest for a spy who knows where the diamonds are so this is north by northwest they are stealing the entire playbook out of Hitchcock's north by northwest 
It's a Ron Man narrative. Ernest is mistaken for the spy. They take the waitress as a hostage. Everybody ends up in Africa. Ernest, a.k.a. Agent 32. He's not. Also, we ne- Ernest does not play Agent 32. It's a, We never meet Agent 32. It's just these people, for some reason, think whoever Agent 32 is must be Ernest, and he must know where this shit is. Clearly the man dressed in too much death. Yes. Only he could be a Exactly. Spy. Okay, so we, we go to Africa. The white South African villain, uh, who's called Thompson, I believe, uh, he leaves the waitress uh, with his um, African bodyguard and then implies he'll rape her. Uh, so, that, so ooh, okay. Um, and also, a, a weird <laughs> side note, it kind of looks like that scene in Iron Man 3 where Tony Stark is captured in the ma- mansion of the Mandarin where he's tied to, like, a chain link fence. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. I, I always try to forget it's, that movie. It's kind of scene for scene. Anyway, it's weird, except, you know, rapes implied. Then, here's where things get really weird. So, Ernest is left to go find the diamonds. He's dropped off at the uh, Crocodile River. So, the Crocodile River, is, is it's the name of the sign. And to their credit, it's spelled as South Africans, like, um, like crocodile. That's a real river. And I looked it up to make sure. That's in South Africa. So, for anyone wondering the difference between South and Central Af- Africa, it's about 2,500 miles. So, Ernest is somehow going to find this. At first, I thought, well... Obviously, Ernest is going to fall into the river. Crocodile action comedy scene. Laughs ensue. No, he does fall into the river. But then we cut away. And then we cut back to him after a couple of other scenes with the waitress and the um, uh, captor. And he's just out of the river. And I was like, so no crocodile scene. Well, that's sad. Uh, Okay. But. Okay, here we go. Okay. I'm going to steal my. I got to steal myself. Sorry. Let me. Let me get some liquid courage here real quick. Okay. Take your time. Ernest comes out of the river and he wakes up and he's covered in mud. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to take a drink now. And he realizes he's covered in mud. He removes his clothing because he's like, the clothing's covered in mud. Somehow his whole body's also covered in mud, though, underneath the clothing. And your first thought is, and I know everybody's steeled for it, oh, no, blackface. Then the scene takes a turn. He steals a towel from a neighboring village, makes it to a country club. In South Africa, which to be fair, there are there are weird hunting clubs. Um, you know the apart. You know, this is a weird post-apartheid movie, but still kind of feels like it's set in the in the kind of throes of apartheid. It's not blackface; it's brownface. He is shirtless. He just has a towel around his waist and a towel around his head, and he pretends to be an Indian. And by Indian, I mean British Indian man servant stereotype. Oh, Acc- didn't see it going that way. Accent and all. Full oh. brown brown face. I mean, whole body. It goes on for more than one scene. And I will admit, in a movie called Ernest Goes to Africa, I was shocked to find the Indian people to possibly be the most aggrieved. It's bad. It's rough. It's the worst version of all of this. It oh. is the most racist I've seen this character or this actor do anything. I mean, this is this is bad. There's no way around it. There's no jokes around it. it. I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up because it, it it's it's a large chunk of a of an 85 minute movie. Um, thankfully, once he's infiltrated this facility where he knows um, that this is in the basement is where the waitress is being is being held, he finds a hiding place, removes his disguise, and creates a new disguise. 
and we all, boy, have I never been more happy to see the woman in the neck brace come out. Character work is back, baby. By the way, she has a name. It's said in this movie. It's Auntie Nelda. Grandma in the neck brace shows up. She then takes what looks like an urn with ashes. And she talks about it like it's an urn of my husband wanted to be buried here. And the the bodyguard's like, what are you doing here in this place where I'm clearly going to torture and rape this woman? And then he throws the ashes of a dead person into this man's face, rendering him unconscious because he really takes the whole load of that in his face. Rescues the waitress and they flee. And then they end up in the woods. Um, there's a weird sequence in which I did want to point out. Uh, Ernest puts on a um, handmade exoskeleton to defend them against the uh, creatures of the woods who have animated eyes. Like, literally, they've hand-drawn 2D animated eyes in the blackness of the woods. Because they need to get firewood. He has to go in and venture off firewood. Anyway, um, at this point, he references Vietnam. So, once again, he's a vet. Um, although, he does it while eating poison ivy and then drinking uh, calamine lotion. So, that's cool. And then, um, this is, so they're on the road, they're running. This is a really weird point where, um, they end up at a point where they refer to them as Zulus, which, again, talking about geography and stuff, uh, let's just leave that. Ernest makes a joke that he claims to know 19 Zulu dialects. The waitress goes, how do you know, how'd you learn 19 Zulu dialects, Ernest? And he goes, worked at a record store. And at first I was like, I don't understand that joke. Then he goes, oh, no. Then he goes to talk to them and he starts speaking to a group of people he, he believes to be Zulu natives. And he speaks in a very fake, very quote unquote jokey version of jive talk from the 70s. Oof. Holy shit. To this, to the credit of the film, the oldest man in the center of this kind of group listening to him, are they're all laughing, and the oldest man's like, ha, 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 ha. He lifts his cane up and strikes Ernest in the face and renders him unconscious. Then he starts to actually belly laugh, and everyone points at him and laughs because they murdered the man. And I was like, ah, oh, a small sliver of justice. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. While Ernest <laughs> is rendered unconscious from this, it's it's actually quite a plot point. Because this allows the um, uh, people working for this um, white South African who um, is um, working for this nondescript prince, um, they show up and and, and, and uh, uh, kidnap the waitress. Um, uh, she ends up dressed in faux Arab garb, a la Indiana Jones, and is placed in the prince's harem. Because you know, South Africa um, and ancient and, and and ancient Middle Eastern culture the same, right? They'll be reusing that costume set soon. Oh, God. Um, oh, yeah. So Ernest awakens amongst these people who rendered him unconscious. He does endear himself to the people with his weird... It kind of morphs into... Uh, it goes from jive to fake kind of co- fake cockney rhymes. And it kind of try to, tries to evolve to the point where it makes it clear, like, these people aren't tricked by him. They just think he's an idiot and think he's funny. So it... it it ends up in a better place than we started, but still. Anyway, they tell him which direction they took the woman, so he runs. Um, then Ernest pulls... Okay, this is... Okay. So as we previously established, the woman's in the harem for the evil prince. How do you think Ernest rescues her? More... More brown face. I was going to say that or a magic lamp keeping him with the racist themes. Is anyone familiar with the Bugs Bunny trope of dressing as a woman to seduce the villain? Yeah. 
So Ernest infiltrates the harem. Sounds sexy. Continue. It's, it's as sexy as you can imagine. Ernest infiltrates the harem. It's a full Bugs Bunny. He's dressed as a harem girl. He does a seductive dance. He wins the favor of the prince, seduces him, sits on his lap. They make out. The prince realizes it's Ernest. The 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 wait. Like the prince has some hard questions. He needs the to answer. prince has a good good round of gay panic. The uh, waitress puts over the cobra basket. The snakes start killing everyone, and they escape. Again, they steal a car after hitching a ride, and the driver makes a pass at the waitress. Uh, there's uh, this car though is actually like a truck, and this guy who made a pass was a farmer. So what then happens is a gunfight as another car comes up on them, the people chasing them. And, it, and Southern banjo music, American Southern banjo music starts playing because the truck is a farming truck, but we're in South Africa and it's a South African farming truck. But I, anyway. Uh, anyway. Um, anyway, we then establish that they're heading to the forbidden border. Um, there's some weird stuff with a rhino killing the henchman of the prince who failed. Uh, anyway, well, white South African guy Thompson's, he's on it. He's after them. Um by the way, this is what I'm describing is about 15 minutes of the movie. Ernest still has the eyelashes on from the harem disguise in which they escaped. And this is the only time I laughed in the film. The waitress um, and him look at them to go for a kiss and she rips them off his face. Ernest screams in agony, falls into the, fl- f- the, 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 the falls into the frame of the camera, eyes uh, eyes clutched by his by his by his uh, shaking hands as he screams I've been thrust into eternal darkness. Uh, Perhaps I laughed out of schadenfreude. <laughs> Seems like the most likely scenario. Yeah, for real. Okay, so they're now trekking through what is supposed to be the African um, the African wilds. It's clearly Canada. Um, Ernest stops, communes with nature. The waitress is like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm communing with nature. And she's like, we got to fucking go, dude. And she grabs him. And just as he's in his trance, he throws out the phrase, the masses have always had to rise up against the opposition of, he's pulled away. I believe that he was starting to quote Chairman Mao. So I think Ernest. That's interesting. I think Ernest is a communist, which I'm down for. Although Mao, I mean, that's a little, that's. Mm. So anyway, they finally run into the tribe of Sinkatutu. Made up. I want to make it clear. <laughs> Not real. This is the tribe from the beginning in which the artifact was stolen. Um, They are subtitled once, and what they're said is they're going to eat them. So, you know, great. The Lost Tribe oh, good. is going to eat them. Come on. They even build a cartoon stew that fits humans. How do you eat long pigs? I don't know, but no. Anyway, he pulls out his yo-yo. And, and and look, I didn't write my notes in the right order. So I'm just going to tell you all now. The yo-yo was set up earlier. And I remember, like, he's like, look at my yo-yo tricks. And the waitress is like, who fucking cares? So as you can imagine, the superstitious lost tribe in Africa who's going to eat people think the yo-yo's magic and they don't eat them. 
So they're literally just like, holy what? shit, walk the dog. He must be our god. What? Yep, 100%, Steve. That's exactly what the movie is saying. I, what? Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. And then, okay. then this leads the tribe leaders are talking to them in English, and I'm like, "You speak English?" That okay. White South African guy tracks them. Claims Ernest is the one who stole the eyes of their statue, these gems, and demands a trial by combat. And everyone in this tribe says, "Sure." We then cut to Thompson, who's changed into what I can only describe. He's always been in safari gear. He is now changed into a 1980s American ninja villain gear. Your black, you know, pads and stuff. I'm like, I guess he carried that with him. So he throws a bunch of weapons at, our, at Ernest. Further cartoon logic ensures. I will say there, there's something somewhat charming about. So there was like a, like a wooden table. And, you know, it's, it's your basic two by four, like, um, panels. And Ernest, like, sets the table up to avoid being hit by the shurikens and the axes and stuff. And then the guy starts chopping away at the table, and each panel falls off. And Ernest is, like, ducking to the point where there's just one panel left, which is obviously too thin for any human. But you can't see Ernest until he peers out because it's, like, a digital ef or, uh, optical effect, like Bugs Bunny. Like, a very intentionally cartoonish shot where I was like, oh, that's, that's clever. And thought was put into it. Ernest defeats him with the yo-yo. He yo-yos the dude in the face, knocks him unconscious. The tribe cheers. The yo-yo breaks. And this is where I realized, despite watching the oh movie, my God. I didn't connect it. Ernest picked the yo-yo up earlier in the film. Those are the eyes. It's the eyes. Yeah. Which, by yeah. the way, means the villain was right. Ernest did take the eyes. He has them. It, the, the guy was right. Anyway, he's made a hero by the tribe. He goes back home. And then, ironically, the waitress goes, Actually, I think I need a simple hometown guy. I can't live your fast-paced life, Ernest. You're a man of the world. And Ernest does a, um, a very um, uh, earnesty, only arrogant moment, but in a very fun one-scene one Ernest of like, that's true. I am a man of the world. It's very great. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, you know, he, he accidentally hits something. Or, um, uh, oh, no, he, 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 he actually ends up with an egg on top of his head. And it, he goes, ew, and credits. Well, what an adventure. What an experience, and I'm glad it wasn't mine. I paid for this movie. How much did you pay? How, how much? Yeah. I rented it in SD. You know, Brian, how you were like, got to see it in HD? No. I paid $2 to rent in SD, and I still <laughs> am looking for some ream. Look, here's the thing. I pay the hosting cost for this. No no worries. Like, 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 like don't, don't, doesn't, even, doesn't even phase me. I would, I'm looking for my $2 back. <laughs> Um, um, I'm like, boy, can we set up a Patreon to just get me my $2 back? You can do a GoFundMe. GoFundMe. I had to watch this movie. In case Please anyone's wondering, in case anyone's wondering, I rank it the lowest earnest film ever. <laughs> there is no worst earnest film that I've seen. All right, Corey, you watched the final earnest film in 1998. And 
1998, Osama bin Laden declared a holy war against the United States. He had many motives. I'm not going to go into all of them now. Wait, really? But one of them might just have been this movie. Oh, I'm so excited. 1998, he uh, he signed a fatwa calling for the killing of Americans. And he had several complaints uh, about U.S. support of Israel and our intervention in the Middle East. And, um, yeah, I'm sorry. We might have been asking for it with this film. We were dressed very provocatively. (laughs) So (laughs) you you just described a very cringy movie. And, honestly, I'm I'm glad I'm never going to see it. Um, Even hearing it described was cringe. This wasn't maybe as bad, but it was definitely in the same ballpark, I think. Um, this was definitely my lowest rated Ernest movie, getting that out of the way. Not yeah. ever going to see Ernest Goes to Africa, so that's just not going to be on my list. Nor should you. Let's begin. Ernest and the Army. So, we've been speculating for a while in the series that maybe Ernest was a veteran. Um, Vietnam War, you know, he's definitely uh, got some personality issues, uh, disorders, a lot of strange military tactics he seems to be aware of. We first saw this in the first movie, Ernest Goes to Camp. He uh, wages full-on guerrilla warfare against those uh, construction guys. Yes. Anyway, we opened the film, and Ernest is working on a golf course. Um, it seems to be something kind of similar to a, a top golf type situation, except it's not up on a platform. It's just kind driving of flat. Range. Right, driving range. A bunch of people lined up just punting golf balls. There's uh, 50, 100, 150 meter or yard, whatever. It's Americans are probably yard uh, markers. And he's driving around in a golf cart trying to collect these golf balls as fast as he can. He has a little tactic that he uses with his golf cart. Um, it's covered in nets. He lays down in front of his golf cart, steers the steering wheel, the seat, and reaches out ahead of him with a net and throws the balls back into the larger net on the cart. Then everybody that is golfing tries to hit him with their balls. Um, he comes up to a stop like at the do. very front. Uh, right next to Makes the line. Sense. Proud and victorious that he dodged all of the golf balls and says hello to his friend who pulls up in one of those open top. Um, I'm guessing it's a Jeep. It's a standard, you know, army vehicle. Seats four. And everybody proceeds to hit him with balls. And that is how he decides he really wants to be in the army. You see, he gets in the car with his friend who is driving around. And he says, I really wish I could drive something like this. He says, well, you could do that if you just joined the army. Well, we're going to cut. We're going to cut to somewhere, in quotes, in the Middle East. And we see some people in some uh, Middle Eastern garbs. I won't attribute them to any specific so, tribe or group because they are very non-specific of how they did this. Um, head coverings is and this such. A, is this a prequel? I don't think so. We seen stolen valor for Ernest. I'll get into that. Uh oh. I'll, I'll get into that. So we cut to the Middle East, and there's a group of, um, I would say, air quotes, Arabs. Uh, they definitely are not Arabic, but they are definitely trying to be. Uh, and they are talking about how they have their intercontinental ballistic missile. And they're very happy about this. Okay, cut back to Ernest. He has decided to sign on to the army, and so he goes up to a clerk. His friend walks up and says, oh, this is the best decision you've ever made. You're going to be in the army with me. It's going to be fun. And he signs. And then they take his hat off. They take his vest off, the earnest vest, and replace it with a green vest. Replace his hat oh. with a green hat. Is it denim? And uh, I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, it's definitely not camo. It's back or anything. 
And then that's it. He says, what? No boot camp? No drill instructors yelling expletives at you, possibly for better or worse? He looks directly at the camera when he's saying this, by the way. It definitely seemed a little PTSD-ish. But no, the clerk and his friend tell him, you're not in the real army. You're in the reserves. I know some reservists that may take issue with that joke. Yeah, whoa, oh, what? What is that? (laughs) It's not just that he's in the reserves. He's joined a... Somehow he managed to explicitly sign up for a division in the reserves that is explicitly logistics, which is fine and dandy by Ernest. You see, he just wants to drive the big motor pool around, and he's going to get to do that. Uh, in the meantime, we have the colonel. Uh, don't remember his name. He's just referred to as the colonel. And he comes up to the general of this platoon or what division or whatever. I don't know my military terms that well. Mm-hmm. And says that he needs his reserve to uh, invade. Uh, there is a threat to national security, and he needs this guy's men, and he needs them ASAP. So they agree to go and invade Karifistan. Not a real place, I checked. And I had to check a few times. And I've got this in my notes a few times with question marks. Is it Karifistan? 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 Well, it's, it's fictional, really so it can be whatever you want. Karifistan? But it, ends, it, ends with, it ends with a stand, so that's how you know it's Middle Eastern. Of course, well, we already like, saw that. Oh, like, from, like how you know they're the bad guys. Like Parmistan in um, uh, in uh, Jim Cotta. Sure. Um, Jim Cotta. It, it combines the it combines the skill of gymnastics with the kill of karate. Okay. Well, um, I know what we're doing for the next episode. The most recent Call of Duty and also invaded a fake Istan. Anyway, it's it's a trend that isn't going away. That game came out last year. Um, so, Ernest is now officially enlisted, right? So he has to come to. It's not drill. Maybe it's called drill. Everybody has to stand in formation and wait four hours for the CEO to show up. And Ernest is eating these chewy gummies that are extremely chewy. So chewy that, and I quote, it took a week for me to get those out of my teeth last time I had them, his friend remarks. But Ernest is just downing a whole giant movie theater-sized box of these things. And as he's chewing on them, the colonel, who is addressing everybody, decides to come up to Ernest and give him flack, rightfully so, for not being in uniform and for chewing on candy when he should be paying attention and standing at attention. Um, as he is told to consume the rest of the box and then to consume the box itself, Ernest has now got his mouth quite full. And then the colonel decides he is going to punch him in the gut for not doing it fast enough. So Ernest spits up this spitball of uh, disgusting, just half-digested gummy material all over the colonel's face, who nearly suffocates to death. Question. Um, is, it, is it Arlie Ermey? Is it Early Army? No, Arlie Ermey, the, the actor. I couldn't tell you. Okay. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you're talking about the dude from uh, Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket 7. I mean, he's like the drill instructor in so many uh, movies because of Full Metal Jacket. I was just curious to know if they got him because I actually have not looked this one up. I can check really quickly. Um, oh, Corey, well, continue. Look. Somebody else look it up. Anyway, sure moving, moving on. Um, basically, Ernest you're doesn't sure, wait, 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 wait. do. You're sure it's not him? Did somebody peek at somebody else's movie? Why would I do that to myself? <laughs> right. No. Why would I subject <laughs> no, myself to I'm this nightmare? Good. Anyway, Ernest uh, gets punched in the gut, spits a slime ball all over the colonel's face. Everybody has to try to get the slime ball off before he suffocates because the man can't breathe. He has a gelatinous mass on his face. Um, 
Ernest grabs That's a chunk of it, dra drags it over to a car, and then the car is pulled forward by the elastic force of this gummy candy, and it runs over the colonel, but freeing up the gummy mass from his face so that he can now breathe. Long story short, Ernest and his friend are now in trouble. So they go to the general, and um, he starts yelling at them. Of course, the general's not actually that mean of a guy. Every time we see the, uh, the general, he's talking with uh, one of his officers. Like, how, how rough should I be? How mean should I be? And, you know, his officer gives him a kind of gauge for that. You know, oh, you know, be a little be a little softer on these guys. You know, oh, definitely be a little stern with these guys because they really messed up. Anyway, uh, his friend has a heart attack. We hear a heartbeat that gets faster and louder, uh, definitely coming from the friend who literally just falls over. And he... Wakes up in shock as Ernest is leaning down to give him CPR. We just see Ernest's giant mouth coming towards the camera. And now we're at the hospital. His friend is on oxygen. Ernest has come to say, I am so sorry, yada, yada. Ends up tripping on a cable and pulls out what seems to be a catheter. And proceeds to try to stab it back into his friend multiple uh, times. What? Before shoving it into maybe his belly button. We don't really see that. But it's a very distinct type of needle that we do see. It definitely reminded me of a catheter. It Ernest decides to squeeze the uh, the water bag a few times. And his friend's pulse uh, comes back. And so Ernest leaves. Now, we're going to cut away having, from this having nonsense. Having saved a life. Right. Having nearly killed his friend again. Um, we're going to cut away. And there is a unfaced man in a very dark room and another man comes into the room uh, through a door very far away we barely see the, him at all the lighting and this guy uh, I, I noted him as dark Dr. Evil um, he kind of looked and sounded a bit like Dr. Evil he had a white cat that he was petting a uh, very fluffy cat it's and, like a, so at this point though it's got to be like a Blofeld thing though right what do you mean Dr. Evil's a parody of Blofeld hmm I haven't seen us in Powers of Forever. No, Blofeld is, is is a James Bond character. Is it? He's yeah. I oh, know I've exposed Corey. Uh, <laughs> James. We don't watch good movies here, so it's perfectly so, so, okay. So, so he doesn't know. Doctor yeah, Evil is a parody of a James Bond villain. Um, oh. mo mostly specifically from the the sixties books or sixties uh, films in the fifties books named uh, Blofeld. He was the head of Spectre. He uh, wore a, in the films, he famously wore a white Nehru jacket, yeah. white uh, pants, white sne uh, white um, Japanese sneakers. Um, and he had a um, fluffy cat and you never saw his face. Um, so, okay, the, definitely the, the a parallel to face, that then. The scarred probably. face of Dr. Evil comes from when they finally revealed Blofeld in You Only Live Twice. Uh, and he was played by Donald Pleasance. Um, so I, I haven't seen the older James. Oh, Bond you're good. No, no, no. But that, that, so that's many the years. reference point. Um, you will know him from the most recent James Bond film, Spectre, in which he's played by Christoph Waltz, in which he's reimagined as James Bond's half brother who was jealous James Bond skied too well. Yeah, that sounds about uh, about par for the course lately. We're going to cut to the news. Uh, Channel 3 News, uh, not to be confused with Channel 2 Action News, um, where they are announcing to the American public that Operation Sand Trap is uh, now in progress. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that's where Ernest first sees this reporter, um, Sydney. And after meeting his friend's girlfriend, whose name is, and I quote, Baby, Ernest, this is my girlfriend, and her name is Baby. Anyway, Yay. Ernest decides he really wants a Yay. girlfriend. 
We're going to have another one of those arcs. And there seems to be a recurring trend here, right? But that's not really important right now. Um, and Cindy has her own interesting story. They are cutting. We're cutting after that little news article, and C- we're on Cindy the beach. Cindy has her own interesting book written by Ellen Dean Foster. <laughs> we're going to cut to the beach, because Middle East beach. There's a lot of beaches there. Um, and Oh, yeah. I, I have anything I know about the Arab world, it's covered in beaches. <laughs> yep. Uh, Ernest spots a jellyfish. Uh, it's a very rare jellyfish, and it's been, uh, unfortunately, washed ashore during uh, high tide. Ernest stops the entire march to point this out, and the colonel gets very angry with him for stopping the march over such a trivial issue and makes him do 20 push-ups over the jellyfish, which, of course, sticks to his face because it's actually a pile of jello in the sand. Anyway, after Ernest does more wait, than wait, 20 so push-ups... Wait, wait, so it's not really jellyfish? It's literally just jello? It's a it's a jellyfish made of jelly. But but in the... Sorry, just to clarify, in the... In the in the world of the film, he was eaten by jellyfish from the face. He does push-ups repeatedly into a jellyfish, which sticks to his face uh, in the same fashion that Jello would. But but it is a jellyfish. We are meant to understand it's a jellyfish. It, it's a rare species of jellyfish. So so he's being he, he's gotten face huggered by a jellyfish. He's gotten face huggered by a jellyfish. Story. Absolutely. Very good. Continue. And he does his uh, twenty push-ups. Um, actually, we cut. No, notice how I'm always like. So tell me more about how Ernest got hurt. So th- th- there's a. Um, Fade cut, my favorite kind of cut, and it's uh, the same time of day, but the whole platoon's gone. And he has counted to 1,020 push-ups. Um, now, I did note that the colonel did ask for 20, so I don't know why he did 1,020 or how he was able to do so many while pushing up into a jellyfish's uh, face. Uh, a kid walks up and sells him a good luck charm for $50, uh, or tries to sell it to him because he's new to these parts. He's American, and he's stupid, and he needs a good luck charm. Ernest asks if he has stupid written on his face. Fifty dollars is ridiculous. The new offer is sixty dollars, and Ernest pays it. It seems like it's a rat skull or something. I can't really tell what it is. Yay, capitalism! Anyway, we are going to cut into the camp where we've uh, set up. Ernest finally managed to find his way over there. We kind of skip past him being lost in the first place, but hey, he's at the camp. We're all sitting down in little lawn chairs, and the colonel is giving a demonstration about these new landmines that the local. Um, militia have and using that look like normal rocks and he gives everybody one regular rock and one landmine which also looks like a regular old rock eh, about six inches by six inches you know pretty normal yeah. size rock they look identical everybody passes them around they can't tell the difference and that's the point Ernest gets them and then he's told to give the mine back to the colonel but he doesn't know which one's which so he gives the colonel one of them and then throws the other one towards the porta potty which explodes at the general inside he was apparently just finishing taking a shit so he murdered the general no the general's uh, coat is damaged but he is more embarrassed than anything and shuffles it's away it's like a daffy duck a daffy duck explosion it's a daffy duck explosion 100% if the man had had a cigar in his mouth it would be exploded it would be exploded and yeah yeah and he's got toilet paper all over his back his coat's all cut up from the the shrapnel i guess and of course the porta potty's gone <laughs> from the shrapnel anyway it's time for uh you know like bre- when the unabomber's bombs went off and everybody walked out covered in smoke with just their coats cut up <laughs> yes um god damn it <laughs> we're gonna cut to breakfast apparently it's breakfast time i mean sure why not it's Still looks like the middle of the day. And Ernest volunteers to go make pancakes. Which, of course, goes about as well as you would expect. He throws a whole bunch of eggs, shell and all, into a pot. It was worth noting that that kid that sold him the good luck charm has magically appeared. And apparently doesn't require security clearance to hang out around the camp. Is this a magic... Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I just gotta stop you. Is this kid actually magic? 
I don't know. It's it's okay. Move on. No, 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 no. no. Okay. It, 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 the kid's interesting, and we have leave it up to the mind of the viewer. Um, Sarah just makes these pancakes that somehow weigh like a hundred pounds, even though they look like the size of a normal pancake. Uh, you know, hilarity ensues as the spatula nearly breaks, and soldiers drop them on their feet, crushing their toes in a true uh, Looney Tunes fashion. Um, and of course, he's been able to eat them with the help of the kid shoving on the top of his head while he tries to bite. And we're going to move on to the news reporter who has just showed up to cover Operation Sandstorm. She is out in one of those cars with the colonel. They pull over in the middle of what appears to be the Sahara Desert. Um, And while they're looking at a map and she's trying to get her bearing, the colonel decides he would like to force himself on her, which, of course, does not end very well. She shoves him off and turns around. He has been knocked out by the local militia. I'm not going to call them anything but militia right now, and you'll see why. I I can't imagine this is based in any reality of a war. Well, the militia capture both of them and take them to a tent where they're tied to the center pole of the tent, which, of course, as you know, means they can't go anywhere. And that's where we hear the reporter's name for the first time. Her name is Sydney. Now, turns out the colonel is actually working for this Middle Eastern president for life. And that is how he's addressed multiple times, the president for life. And he says, I delivered you the media like I said I would. Now let me go. But the colonel, he's in for a rough surprise. You see, the Middle Eastern president for life doesn't have any intention of letting the colonel go. So he captures him again after he let him loose. We're going to cut away. So they have a video that's broadcast showing the colonel and the reporter. And she says that she is Cindy and she works for Station 32, which Ernest catches on to really quickly. He says, wait, she works for Channel 3, not Channel 32. And then he turns around behind him, and it turns out there's an area of the desert that's about to be carpet bombed by the U.S. called Sector 32. And he puts it together real quick. Oh, they must be in Sector 32. So he rushes off to go look for her because he has a crush on her. Anyway... He defies orders. He's confronted by multiple officers and just walks away. No guns or anything. He's going to go find them. Uh, we have a scene, a montage of walking through the desert, being hot and thirsty. It turns out chocolate milk doesn't keep very well in the heat. He throws his canteen down. The one... day is hot. Milk was a bad choice. Actually, that may or may not have been the exact line. Um, at some point, well, That's the line of... from Acreman. <laughs> Wait, is Acreman referencing the Cernest possibly <laughs> we cut away again and he's still in the same uh, same dooney desert and he peels off uh what looks like a strip of tape from his lips and he says oh the chapping is so bad and he throws the tape to the ground i mean his lips to the ground because the chapping's so bad and this is all important these are all clues later oh, on like like a, oh, i'm sorry so it's like a snake like he shedded the quote-unquote skin of his lips even though lips don't have skin Exactly. He throws that down, and then he throws down his uh, utility belt, which had some other probably important things on there. Meanwhile, at the camp, the kid's still hanging out, and he hears that Ernest went to Sector 32 to go look for Sydney, very specifically. Nobody's going to go look for him or them because it's just a civilian, and it's just Ernest. So the kid decides he's going to go run off, and that's the last we see of him for a while. Ernest finds the camp, and it says, warning, poison-tipped fencing in English, by the way. Remember, we're in Karifistan, somewhere in the Middle East. 
But the signs well, in English. Kyrgyzstan was settled by the the English in 1840. Oh wait, it's fake. Continue. Anyway, he finds this uh, camp and it says "warning: poison tip fence." And of course, he walks into the fence, gets shocked and knocked out. He wakes up, and now there's wait, a shot. Wait, wait, is he poisoned? He's electrocuted by the electrical fence, why is it which said it was poisoned. Tipped? And he says, "Well, at least that wasn't poison." But he was just shocked. So he wakes up, and now there's an earnest size hole in the fence, just like a Looney Tune. Oh, thank God. Now he can get in. Yep. So as he walks in, he stands up, you know, puts his hands up in the air like, ha-ha, shocks himself again, knocks himself out again. Somehow nobody's noticed Fair. the power surges on the fence, even though he's now in the camp. Anyway, so he goes into the uh, this tent. He just goes into the camp, sneaks into this tent. Oh, he opens the tent flap. I'm sorry. He opens the tent flap. It says, ah, I found you. And it's just the reporter, Sydney. She's just tied up at this pole. And then he closes the flap and then cuts a hole next to the flap to go in with his knife that he had. (laughs) And she remarks, who do you think you are, Rambo? And he replies, of course, well, almost. Anyway, the kid is stuck into the camp at this this point. I was going to ask, is this like Rambo 3? Is that what we're doing here? Maybe. Like, there's a direct Rambo reference right there, right? Do they thank the freedom fighters of the Mujahideen at the end, like in Rainbow 3? So the kid sneaks into the camp, and he decides to steal a truck. In the meantime, while, while Ernest is trying to save Sydney, he ends up getting his foot stuck under the support pole for this tent and ends up causing the tent to fall over, which causes a bunch of militia to jump into the tent with them as it's collapsing, and everybody outside the tent just starts whacking anything bulging in the tent with the butt of their gun. The kid has snuck into the camp, it steals a truck. Not just any truck, though. You see, uh, there's a lot of mayhem. Uh, Ernest and Zidney manage to get their way out of the tent, while the militia continue to uh, melee each other with the butts of their guns through the tent. Because they're idiots. Um, just like Ernest is an idiot. Anyway, the kid's stolen a truck. And Sydney and Ernest jump on the truck. And, of course, who else is on the truck but the ICBM, which has the colonel rope tied to it. Yep, he is tied to an intercontinental ballistic missile on the back of this truck. The colonel, who is betraying not only the army, uh, but was also betrayed by the militia, he is rope-tied to this intercontinental ballistic missile, which is mounted on a truck. Which, yep, that looks like what you think it sounds like. It sounds like something from a cartoon. So, the stolen truck... Is it like Slim Pickens and Dr. Strangelove? (laughs) That's what it sounds like. Kinda, yeah. Um, we have a desert chase, so we're driving through the Dooney Desert, same set. Uh, the militia have these interesting. Well, they look, they look like tanks, but they're like the size of ATVs. Um, yeah. Sydney shoots some type of submachine gun uh, while Ernest is driving back at them, and ends up killing a few men. And they fall off their uh, cars, and the cars stop moving, and they don't explode, but they catch on fire. It's interesting. Um, Turns out, this is all part of an even bigger plan. So, we cut back to Dark Dr. Evil, as I have noted him. And he wants okay. the Pluton bomb. What's, the what bomb? And this is this what I said. Like, this is the first time I've heard this term, Pluton bomb. Well, it turns Pluton? out, so the army referred to it in the very first act as the Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, which it is. But he's calling it a Pluton bomb. And... Actually, he was trying to steal this Pluton bomb from this militia for some reason. So we're going to keep 
We're gonna cut back to the chase because we're being chased and I guess Sydney's run out of ammunition. So Ernest goes to the front of the truck and does the same thing he did in the first scene of the movie. He gets a very long net, lays down on this uh, little tray in front of the truck and proceeds to start flipping rock mines over the truck's uh, arch and hitting the enemy vehicles, which causes them to explode. And definitely more people dying here too, by the way. They get through. But of course, they get through the uh, minefield of inconspicuous rocks in a duny desert, and it's revealed that the colonel actually works for not Doctor Evil, and by stealing the ICBM, he has guaranteed himself one hundred million dollars. Of course, That's really, how much? What's one hundred? Yes, one hundred million dollars. Um, in the meantime, the militia have caught up and are shooting. Ernest shoves sell Sydney. Sell your oil interests, you weird fictional Arab country. There were a few jokes about that as well at the, in the first act um, about fa- about oil prices getting too high, so we need to go and deploy and do Operation Sand Trap. Ha 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 ha! Oil, really funny given this. Oil prices getting too high. Let's start a war. Uh. Anyway, Ernest shoves Sydney, who her hand falls on a big red button on the side of the truck, which causes the missile to fire, and the colonel was still somehow attached to it, even though he definitely got cut loose. So the missile lodges itself okay. in a dune with the kernel attached to it and then proceeds to explode like a bottle rocket or a firecracker. The general pulls so wait, up in a this, caravan. And is this Ernest's first murder? I mean, unless you count all the ones in camp that definitely happened. No, but like on camera murder? like It seems like it. Um, so he fires the missile. The general shows up. Uh, of course, promises Ernest all of the medals, which the general respond, uh, is promising. And the officer who is consulting with him is then fired for giving him bad advice all the time. Roll credits. Yay! What was offensive? The, the Middle Eastern <laughs> militia. What, uh, what was the offensive? The concept. Uh, oh. A lot of... It's 1998. So, you know... It was a different time. It, it was a different time, but not for much longer. Because, Wait, as I said earlier... Really, did it really end with Ernest's first murder? It ends with Ernest being given all the medals. Or being promised to be given all the medals. But, but like, realistically, this is the first on-camera death Ernest commits? I don't know if the colonel is dead, or if his head is just stuck in the sand and his feet are kicking around. Either way, the ICBM doesn't seem to have really uh, been an ICBM since the explosion was so small. It was like okay. A, fair enough. Okay. Well, it no, was like a firecracker went off. Like, look, I'm looking a, for any reason not to think this look, series doesn't the, the, end with Ernest the fire, murdering a Middle East. The fireworks man. you set off from those little cardboard tubes on Fourth of July. Those fireworks are more explosive than this intercontinental ballistic missile, aka the pluton bomb, which was somehow worth over a hundred million dollars. Well, Corey, how how would you rate? this last earnest film against the theatrical films you've seen it doesn't even compare fair enough <laughs> i mean at, at least a couple of these theatrical films were kind of like you know movies even if they were like a little bad there were redeemable moments this movie was right. cringe the humor was yeah. lower than slapstick nobody older than the age of four really would have found this funny i think i certainly didn't get any giggles out of it and I'll be honest, a few of these movies, I had some giggles. Like, they were there. There was nothing like that here. There was a lot of <laughs> me giggling. saying, oh, no. Well, friends, what do we have to say 
in the end run. We've, we've come to it at last. The end of Ernest. It was quite an odyssey. In many ways, it defined the podcast in 2020, which, to be fair, there are worse things to have defined a podcast in 2020. Er- yeah, you know. Ernestly, I mean, I mean, there are worse things. It was our, it was our quarantine, was the Ernest films. We weren't allowed other culture. I feel like we deserve better, but at the same time, maybe we don't. Well, I don't think we do. I think this is right where we belong. Um, I feel like, at least with Mandy, I had an interesting movie to watch for the finale. Oh, yes. We we yearn for the Nick Cage of, of things. Oh. I'd rather watch Mandy four times in a row than do another one of these Ernest yeah. movies. Yeah. I, See, now you I, appreciate Mandy. I, I you know, hesitate. you're not yes. upselling it when you say it that way, Brian. <laughs> yeah. I, I hesitate. I finally to say, get the brilliance of it. I, app- I appreciate the, the visual spectacle that that movie was in retrospect, and it was a visual spectacle. This was painful. Thank you, everybody. I, hesi- I hesitate to say that I would appreciate any Nick Cage film over what we did, because that's a Pandora's box I don't want to open. <laughs> Any um, Nick Cage film? Let me just yeah. open IMDb. Even <laughs> yeah, Vengeance, a love um, story. But this is far less painful than I thought it would be in many ways. I'm honestly really surprised that they made nine of these. Understandably, four of them. That's a lot. DVD. <laughs> but it is a lot. Still. I mean, as as a kid, I definitely watched these multiple times. I barely remember yeah. it, but I definitely enjoyed them as a kid, and I think they did. Th- I think he did what he set out to do with these. I'm glad we're done. I'm glad we don't have to do anymore. I think I, I'm pretty sure I'll never be seeing another Ernest film in my life. I mean, we watched them all <laughs> collectively. And unless you really have an urge to watch the three you didn't watch, I, and I can wholeheartedly tell you not to watch the one I watched. I'm, I <laughs> do think we should really wrap it up. And I, I know this is supposed to be the end, but I do... I really am interested in that one, uh, the, the the film before all of these. The Imaginarium of Jim Varney. <laughs> the Imaginarium I, of, of Dr. Jim Narcissus. It Narciss. sounds um, way more interesting than any of these films. Hold on, hold on. It's part of the Criterion Collection, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah, of course. Some kind of rainbow machine. You are referring to Dr. Otto in The Riddle of the Gloomy. Yes, I would agree. And also, like... In the same way, we have promised to return to Nick Cage, and we will. That Doctor, I, even the name Doctor Otto. I and... I think we should save it as our return. <laughs> For a rainy I think, day. I think we will we will revisit this with some context. We've been really lost in it. This has been this has been the mindset of the podcast for 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 a long time now. We should um, be returning to Nick Cage pretty soon, though. Uh, I'm, w- I'm waiting for that movie where he plays himself. <laughs> I'm waiting for that one, or I really, I- I'm really interested in this jujitsu movie, man. I feel like that's going to be disappointing. I know that's why I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely hit or miss, but you know, for the most part, they capture the spirit of what Jim Varney and what's his name, John Cherry, set out to do, which was make some really just. <laughs> just cheap slapstick humor that appeals to a wide range of audiences. I really like when you're like, what's his name? I was like, uh, Vern, Steve. <laughs> no. Vern. There's no Vern. Wait, was Vern in any of your movies? He wasn't in mine. Nope. Did anyone get a Vern? No Vern, Vern is gone. 
Burn must have finally died. Working around all that nuclear, all those nuclear particles. Or, or what was the term, Corey? Pluton. Pluton. Oh, Pluton. Yeah, Vern died. Pluton, Pluton missiles. Yeah. Yeah, not not seen there. The character of Ernest is exposed to lethal amounts of radiation after the Pluton bomb detonates in the desert. It was in the Alan Dean Foster novel. Zakis, I mean, um, I misheard you and thought you said the character of Vernest. <laughs> I was just like, the character well, of why is it Vern. taking Vern. me so I am long Vernest, to joke Vernest. Son of Vern. <laughs> Vernest. And I will have my vengeance in this life or the next, Ernest. Oh, I figured out a reboot. Well, guys, it's been an odyssey. This is our second marathon, our, sec- our second um, uh, miniseries. I am, uh, am going to rethink how miniseries go after this. Because this yeah. was... All right, guys. Final thoughts on Ernest? It's over. It's over. It is over. We're re- excited, yeah. excited to move on. To greener rest, pastures. Rest in, yeah, rest in peace, Jim Varney. So long and thanks for all the fish, I guess. That sums it up, I think. I would agree. Well, I've been David. I've been Corey. I've been Steve. And I've been Brian. You know what I mean. Yay! (laughs) You've been listening to Caddy Wampus. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr at Caddy Wampus Pod. Email us at caddywampuspodcast at gmail.com. Music by Tilly.